Well, it has been a while since Pastor Ron has let me out of the back and here to preach. Uh, in fact, the last time I was up here, my family looked a little bit more like this picture here. <clears throat> and a spoiler alert, all of those girls are college age girls now. In fact, we look a little bit different. Um, we, this is a recent picture. And I have an announcement to make. Jamie and I are empty nesters. That's right. Yeah, we have made it. Thank you. And that means that my parenting job is now done. I don't have to uh, tell them I love them anymore. I've already nurtured them, already taken care, you know, no financial needs. Yeah, that's not true, right? Um, no, truthfully, at this point, um, their needs have grown. In fact, they still come home. Uh, they come home hungry and they bring their dirty laundry and they bring their emotional needs. And um, not only that, but they're probably in some of the most intensive things um, in their life. Certainly their financial need is greatest at college and we've created new fast ways to get money to them digitally. Thank you, Venmo. And um, we also uh, help them through their, their choices, right? They're thinking about what major should I take? Um, what career would I uh, pursue? Should I date in college? In fact, one of my daughters uh, recently became engaged. So that means I sent out three and I got four back, right? <clears throat> Well, truthfully, here's how it's supposed to work. I mean, all of us have been the ones who have grown up and moved out, right? Or maybe it's time to grow up and move out. Um, and, and, and we mature, we change. And it doesn't mean that we leave our family situation, but it does mean that our stage of life has changed. Um, and it should. We should continue, hopefully with a healthy, functioning family, uh, we should continue to support one another, uh, even though the stage has changed. Uh, and I'm glad that their stage has changed. They were cute as six-year-olds, and there were some neat things that they were doing, but I'm glad that we are at the point that we are at now. Um, well, that's kind of the way that it works uh, for each of us, and I hope it, it does for you too. Now, it doesn't always mean that things go according to plan, um, in my own life, my parents had some great hopes and dreams and the family that they wanted to provide for us. I remember when we were, I was seven years old, my younger brother was four. They moved us out to a suburb uh, close to a larger city. We bought our house, we got a dog. It was time for the middle-class American dream and everything looked pretty good on the outside for a couple of years. Um, on the inside, we were struggling. And, and I noticed, you know, as a child, parents aren't getting along, there's some arguments. Uh, and then I start to see some other, you know, behavior and you're kind of processing all through. Well, the reality was, um, as they are uh, struggling with their own sins and their own issues, they were pulling further apart. Um, my father, father was struggling uh, with an alcohol addiction, um, things from his past. My, my mom kind of at the point where she couldn't take anymore and uh, they began the process of divorce. Mom moves out, we're there in the house with my dad and things just get worse at this point. Uh, so in his life, uh, that looked like a DUI, lost his job, bankruptcy, lost the house. Um, and, and finally, he's gonna go to rehab. My brother and I've gotta go somewhere else. We move into mom's one bedroom apartment. Not the life that they were thinking, not, not the best that they had planned. Meanwhile, uh, in my own little life, uh, there are things that are going on too. At 11 years and 12 years old, I was getting into things that you do not want your 11 and 12 year old uh, to get into. Uh, starting from taking cigarettes and alcohol from dad and then going from friends that we were breaking and entering and um, stealing more alcohol, drug access, um, and all at a young age. So I tell you that to say um, that, that thing doesn't always go according to a plan. But there is a redemption story. There is something promised. Um, my mom, 
started looking for help. She needed a community of people who were going to help. It wasn't coming from uh, the family plan. And so she visited a church. And that meant when we were with her, we were going to church too. Uh, I remember being in our apartment. Uh, I was wearing uh, my favorite shirt. It was fairly offensive uh, at 12 years of age. And uh, people from the church came to visit. That was what they did back then. If you came to the church, they came back to your house uh, during the week. <clears throat> and uh, they were nice. Uh, but, but I remember feeling kind of uncomfortable. It was really not my group. And uh, sure enough, on Sunday morning, then we are going to church with mom. And I was hearing for the first time, uh, not just that the things I was doing were wrong, because I knew it, um, but also that God had a different plan for me. Uh, I heard about what Jesus had done and um, to make a way where I was not making a way. And so at the age of 13, uh, I made the decision to believe in Jesus, to, to turn my life around, go from the, the foundation that was falling apart to what only God could provide. Uh, and of course, it, it transformed my life. It was neat. As I look back, I didn't realize it then, but I think God was removing other things from my life. Those two friends that I was getting in the most trouble with, uh, the Lord moved them both away. And that meant I was kind of without community. And so now I needed to find some other uh, friends and other people to, to be involved with. I remember going to church uh, in, in our church growing up, the students would all come and sit on the second row, which is probably a smart move by the parents. You could kind of see what your students are up to, but they would sit together and it looked like community was great. And I remember the time where one of those students came and said, hey, would you come sit with us? Just a little step, but I mean, somebody stepped out to say, hey, can I invite you to be a part of community with us? And so um, I was now belonging to this group. Here's a, a group of teenagers who are meeting on Sunday and Wednesday. We're studying the Bible. We're learning what, what would Jesus have for us, a different way of life. Um, and from that, we're becoming more like Jesus too, right? So uh, I had volunteers who were um, serving in the student ministry. Volunteers, thank you uh, for what you're doing because you make an impact and, and it made an impact in me. So Dave and Danny, who were the guys who loved me when I was feeling kind of unlovable and also taught me what it meant to be more like Jesus uh, we got a student pastor when I was in high school, and that got poured into us, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but in small groups. Um, he did one-on-one. -on -one. We were going deep. He was pulling out Francis Schaeffer books and eschatology, and then I just I loved every bit of it, not only because I'm learning to be like Jesus, but also because I, I'm noticed and somebody takes an interest. Um, in church, in high school, we, we had the chance to be able to do some mission opportunities and to serve. But for what God was doing in my own life, uh, I felt that the, the answer to the call, what the Lord was asking me to do, was to pursue full-time ministry. And that gets me to the family picture and living in Texas in the last 25 years. But there, there is a progression that kind of happened in my life. And I believe that those are the same uh, types of steps that all of us can take. Uh, you see it illustrated in baptism. You hear it from other people's stories. And you see it in the Bible. So uh, we have the gospel accounts where uh, the writers are capturing what Jesus taught us. And the first book there is the book of Matthew. So I'll uh, encourage you. You can look at Matthew chapter 9. Um, if you're not using the Bible app, I encourage you to do that. We put notes in there and you can follow along there too. Certainly can use the Bible that you have. Some of the points are in there too. Uh, if you are online, we're so glad that you're here. You can also find those notes there too. So Matthew 9, uh, let's take a look at the story of what happens um, when Matthew encounters Jesus. Here's Matthew 9, 9. So as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Pretty easy, right? Okay, so there's some background that you should probably understand about what's going on. So let's first learn about Matthew. Um, he's called Matthew in this account, but all other gospel accounts call him Levi. 
so he has two, two names. And, and there wasn't too unusual at this point. There's a given name in the culture you were a part of, but this is also during the time of Roman occupation. And so uh, it was not uncommon for people to have a Greek name, uh, perhaps people making a change in their life and called something different. We see that with Saul, later called Paul. And uh, we see that here. So Levi may be his first name. It may be that he is from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus calls him Matthew. <clears throat> and then we're told that he is a tax collector. So during that time, the, the way that money was raised in the area uh, is that a local person would be put in position to collect taxes. In this area in Capernaum, uh, that would be uh, collecting taxes for Herod Antipas. And they're really doing that on behalf of the Roman government. Kind of interesting the way that they did that. Um, they would have your territories, maybe kind of your towns on a main road. And um, those territories were available maybe at an auction. So you would pick one, perhaps close to your own home, and then you could uh, pay all of those taxes in advance, an estimated amount of what that area was worth. But then you needed to get your money back. So you'd go back to town, you'd set up, and you'd have a tax booth. And maybe a better way to understand it is a toll booth. We're familiar with toll booths, right? Um, you know, as you're driving through, you owe something as you go by. And it would have been the same here. If you are going along the road, you're uh, maybe commerce, you're bringing things in, you're a farmer, you're a merchant, and then they're going to collect taxes on what's due. But here was the problem. Nobody really knew what was due. So the, you would arrive and somebody would give you an amount and that may be a surprise to you. Uh, and in fact, in the writings that we have in scripture and also historical accounts, um, tax collectors were seen as very corrupt. Uh, imagine this, if you need to take the tollway to get to your place of work. And uh, do you remember when we used to have to have exact change? So you got your, your three quarters ready. <clears throat> so you're ready, you pull up, but the toll booth attendant says that'll be $2. And you're upset. You know it's supposed to be 75 cents. It's $2. And you try to argue a little bit. And she says, hey, if you have a problem, here's a police officer right here. You dig out and pay your $2. But the next time you go, maybe it's a buck fifty, Maybe it's $2.50. Um, you don't know exactly what it's worth. You know, going through the toll booth, you're pretty sure it's supposed to be less than what you're paying. Pretty much like taxes today, right? And so it was the same situation here. The tax collectors were corrupt. Um, People despise them. Even though Matthew was a Jew, because of his chosen profession, he would be ostracized from other Jews. If you look at uh, writings that we have here, uh, Jewish women were not allowed to marry Jewish tax collectors. Jewish um, tax collectors could not worship in the Jewish synagogue. So you had chosen to be a part of uh, a Roman system where really you were allowed to be a part, but really kind of despised. And then you had left your group, the Jews, also despised. That was the kind of life that Matthew was living. Okay, so let's look at that account then again with kind of the background in mind uh, and see what happens. So back at Matthew 9, 9 and 10, <clears throat> Jesus sees him, says, follow me. Matthew rose and followed him. Verse 10, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Okay, so two verses that really describes a lot that's happened during this time. So let me give you uh, some more context to, to kind of understand what would have happened um, during this time. First off, Matthew would have been uh, familiar with Jesus. 
These are small towns. Again, he's set up uh, in a toll booth in the main part of town on the main road. He would have been familiar with Jesus. He likely would have heard Jesus's teachings. I mean, if you look back earlier in Matthew, uh, you see where Jesus taught. Jesus would teach Sermon on the Mount on a hillside. Uh, He would teach on the seashore. He would teach as they were going along the road. So likely Matthew's hearing some of these teachings and it's doing something in his heart. I mean, imagine this, uh, Matthew, the corrupt tax collector, Uh, And he heard something like this from Matthew 6. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Well, Matthew gets the reference. He's thinking finances. He's laying up treasures on earth, but Jesus is teaching something different. So it's doing something in him. And when Jesus comes by and calls him, Matthew follows. He's ready. He jumps out to respond. It sounds like from this account that he just kind of hops the table and like jumps out on the road. Uh, And maybe he did, but we also uh, have other accounts actually of tax collectors uh, who came to faith, who repented. And so we probably have an idea of what Matthew did. Uh, For example, there were some tax collectors who came to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preaching repentance and turning away from, um, from a life on your own and from the religion of the day. And so the tax collectors come up and they say, um, uh, essentially, we're following the way, and so what should we now do? In other words, we're tax collectors. <laughs> you know, we, we don't know what to do. And so John the Baptist has to instruct them. Obviously, it was not practiced then. He says, well, don't collect any more than you're supposed to do. So that's the kind of instruction tax collectors would get there. That's the kind of life that he was going to leave. Um, someone else, everybody else has heard of Zacchaeus, right? We have sang the song. So what is the one thing we know about Zacchaeus? He was... Right, he was a tax collector. No, yeah, so he was a wee little man who was saying that, but he was a chief tax collector. It's, it doesn't make it very, you know, a good song. But um, Zacchaeus also came to faith. We're given this account uh, in Luke 19 when Zacchaeus comes to follow Jesus, and you see what uh, was taught to him. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, he had, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. So we know what Matthew would have done. Likely, he would have left his toll booth. He's leaving uh, not only his place of temptation, but he's also leaving the source of his wealth. He would have paid back what he owed. He would have liquidated his assets. And then he would have gone to follow Jesus. And then the very next thing that we're told, um, Matthew and Jesus are at a house. Which house? We're left to assume it's Matthew's house. He probably had a pretty nice house. So Jesus brings his followers and Matthew brings his friends. His friends would be the other sinners. Um, They were lumped together there. So it was probably tax collectors, thieves, prostitutes, and murderers. What a great party, right? I love that Matthew doesn't know any better. So he just like throws a Jesus party and he brings all of his friends who are far away from the Lord. Um, must, must have been interesting. Uh, you know, we get like a little picture of that, perhaps at baptism, uh, when we invite people and to say, come see what the Lord has done in my life. That's the first thing that Matthew does. Gets his friends and says, you've got to see this. You've got to hear this guy. And he brings them over there uh, to Jesus. So I love the Matthew account. Uh, I think, you know, just like I've shared in my life, or you see with someone who is professing faith and is being baptized, um, there are some common steps that we can make. So let's look back at the Matthew narrative. Let's restate it. 
And let's go through these four categories. Um, I want to point out four categories. Uh, we hang them on the wall in our worship center. You've probably heard these before, but I think you can see these um, illustrated in Matthew's life. So the first thing uh, that Matthew does, he makes the decision to believe. But what is he believing? He's believing what Jesus has been teaching. He's believing what he's been hearing um, all along this time, that he needs to turn away from trying to have a faith and trust in himself, and he needs to turn to Christ, who's providing a way that nobody else could do. The things that Matthew was hearing was radical. It was different from the teaching. Imagine, you know, what do we have right now? We have um, the Roman Empire that you are ruling through might. You're ruling through nobility. But what he's hearing here now is that I find my identity, not as tax collector, not as ostracized from my people, but as a Christ follower. So he makes the decision to believe. We have this verse where he uh, jumps out on the road and, and he follows him immediately, but also the decision to believe is ongoing. Can you imagine that some of Matthew's days were hard? Uh, there's days where he, he's out on the road, he's left everything he had. Do you imagine there were some times where he kind of thought, should I have really left? I mean, it was a pretty good business, right? I left my house, but it was a pretty nice house. The kind of life that they followed meant that they would uh, not only have to change on the inside, but it would change how they'd be received by other people. Uh, when Jesus was sending out some of the disciples, uh, he started telling them in the next chapter of, of what kind of reception they might get. Look at this from Matthew chapter 10 on um, how they might be received now from unbelievers. He says, you receive without paying, go without pay, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no two tunics or sandals or staff. The laborer deserves his food. What is he saying? Um, well, number one, he's saying that he's leaving a lot of things he used to have. Um, the guy who had great wealth, don't even bring a bag and a change of clothes, but you're going to, to be going out. So he's made a, a huge change. Um, so that's, that's number one, that, that Matthew made the choice to believe. The second thing that Matthew did is the decision to belong. Well, what does that mean to belong? Uh, he really didn't have a group except for maybe with the other tax collectors and sinners. Uh, he was ostracized away from his own people, but he made the decision to belong along with another group of now Christ followers. So imagine this. Um, we already kind of described what it was like, you know, like at this dinner party. <clears throat> You've got Matthew with his rowdy sinner friends. You have Jesus with the Jews. Matthew is now there with people that he used to actively extort and Jesus is their small group leader. So you know that was fun, right? Do you think there was ever conflict in that small group? Yeah, you think they ever uh, needed to go back and make things right? Think you ever started to kind of doubt if you had made the right decision? So he made the decision to belong. And why did he have to do that? I mean, he already had Jesus. He already made it a personal decision. So that was enough, right? And the answer is no. Because what we will face as a secondary effect from the decision we made um, is gonna be hard, the, the reception we have. We already talked about what he was gonna leave and the past that, um, what he had left from his past. And now what he was going out to his future, that was very different from what he had, but also there's a different way that others were going to receive him. Look at this in Matthew chapter 11 uh, on what Jesus says, uh, that the kind of reception that they might get. I did it again. I skipped that twice, didn't I? Matthew 10, let's go to that one. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Look at this, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
Verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious on how you are to speak, what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit speaking through you. And verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. By the way, this is not just because they don't like you as Jews anymore. This is even in your own family. Father is child. Child will rise against your parents. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Listen, when you're making that choice to to believe, you've got to belong. You've got to be with other people who can help to encourage you. And what was interesting is uh, as he's making that decision, because he knows what he's leaving, uh, there's others who didn't see their need for Jesus. The good religious people of the day, uh, the church attenders, they didn't see their need for Jesus. In fact, they were usually the ones that were criticizing and not sure what was going on. They were pretty concerned that Jesus was hanging out with the worst of the sinners. And, and believing uh, can be hard. It can be difficult. Um, we don't always see our own need for Jesus, but, but let's be real. We don't have it all figured out. Uh, you and I left our own devices, uh, choose the, a way that leads to sin, and that sin leads to death. Uh, we're taught later on that the wages of sin, what we would earn for that is death, separation from God in this life and the next. And so we are given a choice to be able to follow and to see our need for Jesus. So at this point, you may be saying, okay, Alan, you're not doing this right because I'm not feeling encouraged you know, to be a part of that. <clears throat> and yes, there are the things that we leave um, and some of that walk can be hard, but it's also good and it's right. Matthew 11, Jesus is teaching and giving encouragement, the kind of things that they would not find anywhere else. Listen to what Jesus gives to people who follow him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You no longer have to prove yourself by what you can do, how much you can make, uh, who you are, what status you get in this life, but you find your identity in me and I will give you rest. And that was a great promise. Okay, so decision to believe, to belong. Uh, the next was the decision to become, becoming more like Jesus. So, you didn't already have to um, have Jesus there to learn that you were far away from God. The Jews had been practicing uh, a sacrificial system to pay for their things, reminding them for a long time that they could not make things right. But what we have here is God coming, taking on human form and showing by example how we can live in this life. He was teaching by example and we were following that. <clears throat> if you look earlier in Matthew, uh, earlier chapters, we see some of that teaching. <clears throat> if you are at a starting point and you're not sure what it would look like to be a Christ follower, looking at the teachings of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 be great. It's a lot of content, too much to cover right now. But if you just go through and see the headings that the biblical translators have put in there for you, kind of as reference, um, you see great promises. Um, you see Jesus saying that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Teaches, do not be anxious. He talks about fasting. He teaches the Lord's prayer. He teaches about when you're following, you are building your house upon the rock. So these are the kind of things that, that they were hearing. And as you had that teaching, Matthew would understand, I'm gonna become more like Jesus. Literally at that time, there was a, a culture of following a teacher, sitting under their teachings. And so he would do the things that were being taught and said, and it's the same for us too, uh, making the decision to belong, uh, to become more like Jesus. It was not just uh, about Matthew. And, and so the next one you see is the decision to go beyond. 
<clears throat> a great example we have here, uh, when we talk about going beyond, uh, meaning going beyond yourself. Uh, I was talking to uh, our pastors and uh, Destin had one that he loves of kind of the story of somebody who chose to go outside of themselves. Uh, this is a time when uh, Destin is overseeing student ministry. And, and so what we need to do is you find a, a group of sixth grade boys, sixth grade girls, and we pair them with an adult leader. And we say, okay, the job is um, to meet with them on a weekly basis, Sunday morning, help them have a sense of belonging and help them understand what it means to become like Jesus. Can you do that every week through their sixth grade year? He goes to a guy named Gene. Gene has a son who's that age, says, would you do that? Okay, you know, I'll make that commitment. So all the way through, 52 weeks, goes through and they get to seventh grade. Okay, my job's done, right? It's like, well, it'd be great if you could stay with them and kind of go to seventh grade too, every Sunday morning, sit with the same group of boys. Okay, I can do that. So he does it for seventh grade. And he does it for eighth grade. And he moves on to high school with them. Gene spends seven years with these young men as they go from sixth grade to 12th grade, learning what it means to become more like Jesus. And then you think at the end, he would go, man, you really got me there. You know, kind of wore out, but I'm done. I don't have any more kids. Um, but instead he says, he grabs him and says, you've got to tell everybody. This is great. <clears throat> it's not just about what we do in our own lives. It's not just about what Jesus is transforming, but it's also that we would go beyond. Matthew went beyond himself. The very first thing that we see Matthew did is he goes out and he gets his friends and says, you've got to see Jesus. You've got to hear him. I'm throwing him a party. Come over to my house today. Um, the very first thing he's doing is bringing other people along in the journey because it's not just about what God's doing in you, but it's about how God can use you as a sacrifice and what he wants to do in others. Well, as we go through um, Matthew 22 and 28, we get additional teachings. In fact, uh, these are probably familiar verses for you. This is where Rock Point gets our mission. Um, from Matthew 22, Jesus is teaching on the greatest commandments. And so for, uh, for that phrase, we would say that we uh, are going to love God with all that we are. And then Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission. This is Jesus telling everybody to go out beyond themselves. He literally talks about their town and moving on to the larger areas. And so the second part of Rock Point's mission, uh, that we will make more and better followers of Christ. So what about you? Told you uh, kind of my story uh, of when I was um, relying on myself and coming to faith in Christ. Uh, you see that in, in those who profess their faith and come for baptism. You see it in Matthew's walk, that all of us have the opportunity. So the first thing I'd encourage you on is the decision to believe. Uh, the, the invitation that comes to Matthew is the same one that comes to each of us. It's a come follow me. And it's simple, but it's also rich with meaning. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you've not made that decision, um, that that's the first step. Listen, you're not a Christian because you were raised in a Christian family and you're not a Christian because you're sitting in a Christian church. You're a Christ follower if you choose to obey what God has called you to do. And so maybe then uh, you've already done that. And you'd say, Alan, you've spent 20 minutes, but I'm already convinced. I've already done these things. And to you, I would say the challenge to you is, is the same as it was as I was describing my growing kids. That's great that you began those things. And perhaps you've worked on each of those. But we can't be stuck in the same stage of development. Um, you know, certainly when my kids were six, <clears throat> the milestones at that point were probably, uh, I could eat my own mac and cheese and I can maybe write my name. But you know, it wouldn't be too cute at 16 if that was kind of the level of our maturity, right? I, I eat mac and cheese and I can, I can still write my name. You kind of expect some progression, right? Hopefully 10 years of progression. And when they get in their 20s, 
Well, they're not done. You're probably just starting maturity. So it'd be the same for each of us that we would look um, through each of these categories and reevaluate how are we doing and where can I grow? Because it'll be a lifelong pursuit. Um, So as we contemplated this at Rock Point, we thought that a good way to help, a good diagnostic tool is what we'll call mission measures. Mission, well, the mission of what we're talking about is uh, becoming a disciple of Christ and then ways that you can measure that. Uh, Now, you use metrics and measures already in your life, right? Um, My college students will find out how they're doing in college by a transcript, and they'll get a grade and a class and kind of say, here's what you did, and here's the grade, congratulations, or I'm sorry, you're not hitting the mark, right? And we use this in other places. Use it in business. uh, Use it for the sports team that you follow. Maybe you're making a new resolution. You're losing weight, and then you're counting calories, right? Um, Maybe your mom reminds you how long it's been since you called, that's a metric, right? She is measuring how long, and it's probably been too long. So we use this in all places of life. Um, here, what I'd encourage us to do is, is rather than like a metric, a one or zero, a yes or no, a number, that it would be a measure. And a measure might be validated more by testimony. Could you tell a story? Could others tell a story of what's happening in your life? So let's take a look at those. We'll go back through those four B categories And let's have some measure questions that you see pop up or you can also see in the app. First question, again, have I personally followed Jesus? Have I transferred my trust into Jesus Christ for my salvation? Salvation is by no other name. Jesus said it's exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Have you done that? And if you haven't, I would encourage you uh, to explore what Jesus says. I'd encourage you to make that decision today. Um, Second, how am I engaging in the word every day? Sometimes uh, as believers, we can fall into a bad pattern of, you know, I've I've checked the box most days, five minutes, and I'm good. I've read through that. But I don't think that's really what we're talking about. How is it impacting your life? How is it changing those patterns? How are you emotionally engaging in that text? And how is it making a difference in you? How am I demonstrating my dependence on God regardless of my circumstances? Um, Those of you who've been following Christ for a while know uh, circumstances don't just get easy. Some of them might get harder. But how are you ongoing making this, the decision to believe? How does it grow your faith through your circumstances or maybe even despite your circumstances? Let's look at the next one, um, some measures on belonging. <clears throat> you can ask a couple of these. Who holds me accountable and encourages me? When Matthew went and followed Jesus and with other disciples, um, he naturally has that. If you're slipping away, if you're missing the mark, you're living with these guys and you're gonna have very quick feedback on how you're doing. So who holds you accountable? Who knows when you're doing well and who knows when you're struggling? Who's helping me grow and who am I helping grow? Again, this is not a number, a yes or no. I did that before. Um, Who's the name this year that you could put in those areas? Who's walking beside you and who are you walking beside? Uh, What about becoming more like Jesus? Here's some questions that we could uh, ask about. Uh, This is a discipleship process. Where's God leading me to repent in that spiritual discipline? Again, that's an ongoing deal. Uh, You know that Matthew went back and struggled with things. Um, Each of us can find areas that we we struggle. So it's not just that one-time repentance, but it's an ongoing. As you come against sin, how are you repenting? And where's God doing that? What about a a positive area? What is God transforming in my life? What story could I tell? What story can someone else tell that they've observed in your life? How how could your testimony give um, credit to God and what he's doing? How is God using me, uh, leading me to use my time and talent and resources? Uh, A good reminder here for Matthew, 
um, he was legally uh, given the right to keep the money that he was collecting his taxes. But he realized at this point that um, really none of that belonged to him or to the Roman Empire. Uh, all of that was God's. And so he's able to offer those things up. What about for you? I don't just mean a couple of hours to do um, some worship services on Sunday, but what does that look like throughout your life? What does it look like more than your time? And then going beyond a couple of questions that we can look at. <clears throat> Where am I serving? Do you have a story like Gene? Place that you're investing? Could others tell a story of how God is working through your life because of what has happened through you. Where am I going with the gospel? In other words, well, where are you going and are you taking the gospel with you? Where do you spend your free time? Who are your friends? What do you do for work? Who do you know at school? And are you bringing the gospel there with you? Are you going beyond yourself and who am I influencing? So some practical applications, uh, a couple things that you can do. There's a lot of these that um, actually wrote down uh, there for you on the website, give you just a, or on the app rather, uh, give you a couple of examples here. Number one, again, the practical application, if you've not started a, a relationship with Jesus, you can do that today. Uh, and it is an individual decision. The next thing, if you're new, um, you can uh, have a new believers class that's offered to you. Uh, you hear about that even with a testimony at baptism. Uh, we offer those for children and for students and for adults. And so that's gonna be someone to kind of fast forward and, and walk through those steps of what it means to become more like Jesus. Um, we have some groups of men and women together um, and we think that's good for you to do, to, to join into community somewhere. Um, how are you looking at your resources and how I can give those? We have scriptural teachings uh, about giving and a giving standard is called a tithe. And a tithe is a specific word and it means a tenth. And so if you're not there, how can you make progress towards uh, giving, realizing and recognizing that all of what you have is the Lord's, but we give a part of that back to, to further what the Lord is doing to recognize that all that belongs to the Lord. And if you've done that for a while, um, the New Testament talks about sacrificial giving. So how are you growing in those personal applications? Um, if you're listening to those and you go, okay, I've got the measures and, and you've told me some things, but I'm still kind of stuck. Uh, a few opportunities that we have for you. One is uh, you can go on our website. You can see a link, uh, rpc.fm slash next steps. It covers the things we've talked about, but down at the end, our adult discipleship team built uh, a little survey. Uh, survey you can take, 16 questions, only gives the results back to you, and it'll kind of rank in these four categories. How am I doing? Got a good score on this category? Looking a little low here, and then a list of opportunities um, that you can take to be able to make a difference. Whatever it is, I, I'd encourage you um, to, to have the, the courage uh, to take those steps uh, in this year to be able to know that you're making progress, to be able to validate that through stories. Um, looking through an article, uh, it, it's a long article. I posted at the end, a little bit heady, um, but th there's a man who's writing for the National Review and he was uh, thinking not just what can it look like with one person who is a follower of Christ, but how has Christianity shaped all of history going uh, from the time of Jesus on the earth to today, even for people who don't believe in Jesus. And it's amazing all of the things he captures there um, that where those who follow Jesus have been able to, to greatly impact and radically change what was believed at the time. For example, a hero, maybe at this time, was an aristocrat. It, it was somebody who was born in a noble birth, somebody who could look up to, but um, now we see people who are denying themselves. We see uh, a culture going in the first century, second century, of people who following is gonna be denying myself. 
Another example, maybe if you passed on, you're remembered in your family, but, uh, but now there is the individual that God cares for you, that there's some, a response that you can make. And so I, I love as he's looking through how it's impacted all of history, but it starts with you and I, and it starts with a decision uh, to take a next step. Let me pray for us as we contemplate. God, how would you want to use us today? Father, what message would you speak to us? God, I pray that you start in me. God, you reveal to me even what has been shown, uh, the areas that I can grow in. Uh, Father, at this time of being a believer for decades, uh, God, how I can continue to become more like you, bring the gospel to others, go beyond myself. I pray for each person who is here that I'll also uh, will consider, Father, the ways that um, we can follow more of your teachings. God, we can change our life to reflect who you are. God, thank you for saving us and not leaving us where we were, and God, thank you for the opportunity to go beyond ourselves and to impact others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.